We doing all right? Nobody's cold, are you? That's good. You won't be after this next couple chapters. <coughs> so I make all my apologies now. Don't send me any emails. It's in the Bible. So we're going to start Song of Solomon tonight. We'll be uh, kicking it off in chapter 1. Probably just go through <laughs> chapter 2, verse 7 and get the introduction down. But I want us to understand it because there's something that people do in churches. I don't know why they do it. Uh, I've been guilty in the past. A lot of other pastors do it as well. Sometimes it's easier just to teach it like everybody else teaches instead of what's there. So there's a lot of ways that people approach the Song of Solomon because they struggle with the context of the Song of Solomon. So uh, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm just going to teach you guys what's there. Uh, there's a reason that people have struggled. They look at Song of Solomon and they go, whoa, 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 this is in the Bible. You got to clean all that stuff up. The Bible surely cannot be talking about sex. So one of the things I think we need to understand is that when that occurred, um, in, in the beginning, with Adam and Eve, God wasn't shocked. Right? He's not like, oh my gosh, I left them alone and look what they're doing. No, no. That was all part. And that's what the Song of Solomon celebrates. The Song of Solomon is from the time of Solomon. It was either something Solomon wrote or something that was presented to him. Uh, the title should be the Song of Songs. There are, depending on who draws what lines where, uh, anywhere from 13 to uh, 20-some different short songs that are all linked together. <laughs> We're not talking about multiple authors here. We're talking about one author linking together several little songs or short songs together in the Song of Songs. Lots of songs, all celebrating one point, one one important facet is being celebrated. So we want to be able to, to take a look at that, hopefully to see it. So I wanted to give you guys a little bit of background on it before we jump too far into it right now. It is a, what's called a lyrical poem. A lyrical poem does not tell a story. A lyrical poem tells you how the poet is feeling, what's happening, what they're thinking about or alluding to a story that you know. I can give you a couple of examples that maybe you're familiar with. Some of you may know Handel's Messiah. Handel's Messiah does not tell the story of the Messiah, but it is alluding to it. If you know the story of the Messiah, you totally get what's going on in the musical Handel's Messiah. Another example is the musical Cats. I don't know if anybody ever saw the musical Cats. The musical Cats does not tell a story. The musical Cats is, a, is in itself a a lyrical uh, poem, musical, that works its way through uh, alluding to the similarities between humans and cats. And they, they, they build on this, this picture uh, as, they, as they tell a story. The songs aren't random. The songs all flow from one to the next. So I want you to kind of see Song of Solomon uh, or, or Song of Songs as a musical there are three singers. There is the woman, the man, and then the chorus of women. It's the three parts. 
And as we work our way through it tonight, uh, when, when we stop, not while I read it, but when we stop and talk about the verses, I'll, I'll try to give you the parts uh, as best I understand them uh, through my study so you know who's talking, because it's not going to tell you. And in your Bibles, even if your Bibles say daughters of Jerusalem or the Shulamite woman or this or that, that is just the translator saying, this is where we think they start. That's not in the text. Are you guys with me? So the text is just the poem. There's, there's no verses. It's all strung together. And probably when it was first given either by Solomon or to Solomon was sung. And certainly it becomes part of the reading. Uh, the Song of Solomon had its uh, uh, reading during the first Sabbath of Passover. So the first Sabbath of Passover, they would read the Song of Solomon. Now there's some interesting re- reasons why, and we'll get into that, I think, as we work our way through it. But, but I want you to, to be able to kind of grasp what we're looking at. Here's the reality as we go through Song of Solomon, uh, what you think it's saying is probably what it's saying. So you might go, whoa, I wonder if that means... So my short answer will be yes. Most of the time, yeah. And sometimes you're not gonna, you're going to miss it, and, but don't worry, I'll point it out for you so you don't have to miss it. <clears throat> Why should I be the only one embarrassed as we work our way through? But one of the things that we want to notice, and we want to understand the point of it. So I wanted to read this to you <coughs> so that hopefully we can so that hopefully we can find the purpose behind it. Why, why is this included? Why did God give us this as, as part of the canon of Scripture? So let me read this to you. It's especially important to realize that lyric poems do not tell a story. But they reflect or allude to the story. The story itself may be totally unfamiliar to the reader. The reader, when he begins to read the poem, doesn't know that the poet's husband just died, that she is attempting to enunciate and understand her own sorrow. Upon entering the poem, the reader is initially at a loss to understand the poet's tone, the allusions that she makes, because she doesn't begin the poem with, Two days ago my husband died, of a massive heart attack while lifting bales of hay, and now I want to tell you all what I'm thinking. But as he reads her reflections on the event, the reader begins to understand the situation, to pick up the details about the incident as she alludes to them. Furthermore, the story behind a lyric poem is very simple. It's one-dimensional. A young man is in love. Or a parent has lost a child. Or a young girl picks flowers. Since lyric poems only allude to stories rather than tell them, the reader would be hopelessly lost if the story or the poem was complex and had multiple characters or a subplot. It is this elusive feature that especially sets apart the Song of Songs as lyric poetry and not a drama. The poems of the song do not tell a story, but are reflections of a story. The story behind the song is exceedingly simple. A man and a woman marry. And the joy that is experienced. What the song therefore establishes is the legitimacy and beauty of a husband and wife experiencing heated passion and desire for each other. 
The song achieves something that the medieval Christian culture could not fathom and that modern and postmodern culture cannot artfully attain. A man and woman who maintain their passion for each other in the context of conventional morality. Another way of saying that is a man and woman who maintain their passion and desire for one another in marriage. This last uh, Memorial weekend, my wife and I were up in Meridian at Harley-Davidson up there. And uh, we got to talking with one of the gals in the clothing department. <clears throat> and somehow, you know, if you know my wife, you know she doesn't know a stranger. So you, you, there's no telling what kind of conversations you might find yourself in. But she began to talk about our marriage. And she said, we've been married 32 years. And it was utterly shocking to this, uh, this person behind the counter. She's just blown away. Wow. I'm, how does that happen? Now, I know there are people here in the sanctuary that have been married longer than that. The problem is that apart from an understanding of how God has um, created the unity within marriage and how God has designed that to be a place of fulfillment, of passion, um, that the, they... They live a life of selfish desires, the opposite of all the things that the Word of God is going to teach and talk about. And some of the things that we'll see as we work our way through the Song of Songs, and they are left with, if this doesn't make me happy right now, then I'm out. And I'll try it again with somebody else. And the crazy thing is, as a pastor, I have had the unique opportunity to counsel with people on their first marriage, to count counsel with people on their second marriage and a couple times to counsel with people on their third. And I'm not saying anything new. And the struggles they're having on round three were the same struggles they were having in round one. But the problem was this guy. If I get rid of this guy or the problem was this girl, if I get rid of this girl, then the next one will be better. Let me just simplify it. You pick the same people over and over again. Your picker is your picker. The reality is, if we make a choice that says, I wonder if God has a plan and a purpose for this relationship. I wonder if, if there's a way to honor God in it. And that if, in honoring God and following God's precepts, am I to think like the medieval prudish uh, religious people did in, in that particular age? I mean, they actually taught in the church that sex was evil always and never to be enjoyed, even with your wife. So that must have been a miserable time period. I'm so glad I did not live then. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. And if you've never read Song of Songs, you're in for a treat. I might even get some of you guys to come up here and read some of it. We'll see. But as we look at it, Song of Songs is what God intended in that relationship. And if we can understand from the celebration that's going on in Song of Songs... I think we can begin to pick out from it that, that it's, it is a purpose of God to enjoy this part of life. Not to have this idea that, that it's something evil or bad or not to be enjoyed or only for the use of procreation or whatever other crazy ideas we come up with. God included this in the Bible. 
And this entire eight chapters is about the sexual relationship between a husband and his wife. Eight chapters. I don't know. It could be eight weeks. It could be four weeks. could be 16 weeks. You guys know how these things can go. And maybe you're thinking, oh my gosh, please don't talk about this stuff for that long, for that long of a period of time. Look, we need to get in our minds that this is not, this was something God made. And here's the interesting thing. We, we kind of do things backwards. We, we tell each other, you know, I mean, we're pretty good about saying, hey, God wants this to be a part of a, a marriage relationship, not something that exists outside of marriage. You want to keep yourself for one another and, but we, we focus on the negative. Don't, 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 don't. But in the word of God, they focus on the positive. Celebrating the day that the bride lost her virginity. And this poem is written from the woman's point of view. And it's going to take her from a place of oppression in her family where she doesn't matter. And you're going to watch her being transformed from that place to a queen. And whether or not it was to Solomon, it's immaterial. It doesn't matter who the people are in the story because the terms are synonymous terms that could be used for any marriage relationship. But the point is that, that there's going to be a transformation in her life as she begins to walk in the, in the fullness of what God has for her. And if we could begin to look at God's purpose for our life in a positive way, in a way that celebrates the good things that God has for us, even we may not find ourselves in that position now, but there is a day, there will be a day, there is a, a point and a plan where God has these things for His purpose in His ways. If, we, if we're able to do that, then we can also celebrate it and see it His way. Not weird, not some kind of crazy twist or some you know, weirdness that we bring or Hollywood brings to the, to the concept, but rather to see it the way God would have us see it. So let's take a look at the text. We'll begin in chapter 1, verse 1. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant, and your name is an oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers, and we will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am very dark, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. For my mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me the keeper of the vineyards. But my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it to lie down at noon. For why should I be like the one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and the pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among... Pharaoh's chariots, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. While the king was on his couch, 
My spikenard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful, your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar, our rafters are pine. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. And as an apple tree among the trees of forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, and refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. So his left hand is under my head, his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Let's pray. Father God, we lift this book to you. God, we lift up this time in which we can study the Song of Solomon. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to probe the depths of your word, to comprehend and understand the truth that your word declares, that we would not fall into the to the trap of prudishness, Lord God, that we would not fall into the trap of vulgarity, but rather, God, we would see the beauty of love as God intended it. What does it look like? What does it feel like? God, we pray that you would be glorified in this place as we can maybe even begin to fathom as we look at this song of songs, the love of God for his people. Lord, we pray that you would bless this time and be glorified here as we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 1 tells us what we're looking at. Verse 1 says, it's the song of songs, which is Solomon's. Now, the language in the Hebrew there is not distinct. So we don't know, nobody knows if Solomon wrote it or if it was given to him. It doesn't matter. It's from the time of Solomon. There are lines in the, in the poem or in the song that speak of the king, but Solomon, may, maybe it could be one of the affairs, love affairs that Solomon had. I don't know. Uh, I think more likely it's just a poem about love, period. And it doesn't require certain people to be in certain parts. What I do know for sure is it can't be an allegory. It can't be allegorical. What do I mean? I mean, it can't, everything can't refer to something else. Otherwise, you are going to be totally lost in this book and it's not going to make any sense. Rather, we need to allow the book to say what it says, to mean what it means, to accept that this is God's purpose and plan for a relationship between a husband and wife. So, the Song of Songs, built up of, we're going to look at what I think are about 13 songs linked together, telling one unified story. We know it's from Solomon's time. We know it's the best song in all of Solomon's collection. And we know it's a collection of smaller songs given as a musical production. So, I'm going to give you the parts, okay? Because sometimes it's hard to know who's talking. Who's talking? The the girl, the guy, or, or the group of women. So, remember there's three parts. The, the girl, who's the primary 
heroine of the story. She's, she's who the story is all about, the woman, from her point of view. You have the man, referred to as the king and the shepherd, and you have the chorus. There are the, it's like a, a choral of women who are going to sometimes repeat things uh, back and forth with the woman of the song. So it begins, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. This is the woman speaking. She starts right out at the beginning. What I did in my Bible is I colored it. So I colored all the lines from her pink. I colored all the lines from him blue. And I colored the lines from the, the coral uh, uh, in red. So I could tell the difference where, where the lines are switching. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. So the beginning of a lyrical poem, and the first few lines are going to give you the purpose. What's the purpose of this poem? It's a celebration of love. That's what it is. A celebration of love. God's purpose and plan. The beauty of love almost completely from a woman's point of view. She's going to be the one with the most lines through the poem. When this would have been presented to Solomon, there would have been a woman singing the woman's part, a little choir over here singing the group part, and a man singing the man's part. And they'd have, they would have had this song performed just like we're reading it. So she begins this idea, let him kiss me. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She's describing the man's affection for her in the simplest, most straightforward terms. She's not using special language. The kiss doesn't mean something else. She's talking about kisses. She's stoked. She's excited. It's, it's a fundamental phrase for affection, right? None of us are wondering what this means. Do you? If she says, man, I, 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 I want him to kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She's in love. Your love is better than wine. It's better than wine. It's sweet to her taste. It's intoxicating. She wants his caresses. She wants his kisses. The next part of the phrase, the next one, verse 3, is the choral. The choral group. The women respond. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. So they, they respond. What's going on? What's going on? They're saying, man, this is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful place. The fragrance, the idea of anointing oils was the idea of health and healing. Just really like what we deal with oils today. Right? How many of you guys use, uh, what's the name of them oils? Who did what? I got like six different names there. Essential oils. Thank you. Yeah. So we have essential oils. We use them for a variety of things, right? Some people rub them on their neck. My wife rubs stuff on me all the time. She's got something that's called happy. That's supposed to make me a happy person. She's been rubbing it on me for nine years. It's working great so far, right? So, but that was the view then. That was it's the same view, same kind of oils. <clears throat> oils that would be medicinal. Oils that would, that would lead or talk to uh, um, healing or health. So talking about, they, they sing this phrase, your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Man, it's, this is all a good thing. And then the girl begins to sing again. She's, she's looking at the man and she says, Therefore, the virgins, it's just a word for young women. Keep in mind, young women back in those days were all considered virgins. 
The therefore virgins love you. Draw me after you and let us run. So here we see this, this design, this call, this indication of marriage. She's saying, Hey, I want to, I want to escape the confines of my life. It's almost like you'll see in the text, hopefully, a Cinderella story. Oh, my brothers, they, they abused me. I, I, I'm not honored in my family. Keep in mind, in those days, a woman in the family was nothing. Just a, a mark above slave. They had no inheritance in the family. All they could hope for was to, to marry them off to someone else. And so she looks at that existence as oppressive. And she looks at this man, her husband, as Prince Charming. Are you guys with me? And so instead of calling him Prince Charming, she's going to call him what? My king. My king, like Prince Charming, take me away, take me, uh, let's escape and let's, let's uh, get out of this place. And then the king has brought me into his chambers, talking about the wedding night. So not only let us run away, let, take me out of this life. It's a picture of rescue. The, the concept of, of love, marital love, uh, for the woman, especially in the time of Solomon, was a picture of rescue, being rescued from an oppressive life. And the goal, God's purpose, was to be whisked away into a place of marital bliss. Now, you and I know that's not always the end of the story, right? But why isn't it the end of the story? Because man doesn't want to do what God tells him to do. Because woman doesn't want to do it. We're, we're all, we all decided a long time ago, all the way back in Genesis, that we knew better than God. Didn't we? At the garden, what was the issue in the garden? Eve is being tested or tempted by the serpent, right? You, you guys know the Hebrew Bible doesn't say serpent, right? So we all draw the cartoon book of a snake, and we all trip over animals talking, but it's a shining one. The shining one probably is an angel. The concept or the picture in ancient literature of an animal talking was always a picture of a divine being of some kind. So Satan, fallen angel, right? We don't have a hard time with that concept, do we? Hey, why don't you eat of every tree? Well, God said not to eat of the knowledge of of good and evil, right? And so Satan says... God said that to you because you'll be like him. You'll be smarter than him. You won't need him anymore. You won't need God to tell you good from evil. You'll be able to do it yourself. Isn't that really what's going on? And then what happens? She says, she looks at it. She says, man, it looks good. I want to be wise. I want to be smart. So she takes it and she eats it. And she gives it to her husband who was with her and he ate. So they're all there in that place. So the fall of man is man's declaration of independence. The next thing that occurs in the story of Genesis is the corruption of man. You read about the corruption of man in Genesis 6. And the sons of God knew the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took of all that they desired. Now, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what your view is on that because I'm right. So you, you're welcome to think anything you want. Genesis 6 is angels. There's no, absolutely no question. None. Zero question. The problem is you can't reconcile how that works. But the language is clear. 
In fact, you read the Septuagint, you know what the Septuagint says? The angels of God, not the sons of God. That Septuagint was translated in 270 B.C. Any of you guys go back that far? So I'm, I'm just guessing they knew better. So they said, angels. What is it speaking of? The corruption of man. Angels corrupting man. Fallen angels corrupting man. And what happens after that? The flood, right? The flood. There were giants in the land in those days. You guys know the story, right? There were giants in the land in those days. Flood washes the giants away, but the Bible says there was also giants after that. What does that mean? The corruption of man didn't stop with the flood. The corruption of man continued. After the flood, what happens next? The rebellion of man. With who? Nimrod. You guys remember all the nations together in one place. There's no nations. All mankind together in one place. They're gathering in one place and they just know that they know better than God. They don't need God. They're building their own mountain to God. They're building their own ziggurat upon which they can become their own gods. And God said, man, the heart of man, he don't want me. So God disinherited the nations. He let them go. He turned them over to the angels that they were worshiping, which became known as what? All the pantheon of false gods. You really thought those were just things they dreamed up in their mind? And then God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just pull one man out of this rebellion and I'm going to make a special people through which I'm going to bring a Messiah that will redeem the nations back to me. And that's what God started doing from Genesis. That whole story is Genesis 1 through 10. There's a whole whole lot more after that, right? As God continues to work. What is the proclamation of man? I know better than God. What do we say in society today? I, I must hear a thousand times. Yeah, we're not married. We're living together. How come you're living together? Well, <clears throat> you know, we get more assistance. So basically you trust the state, but you don't trust God. No, that's what it sounds like to me. I trust the state. The state will give me this check, but I don't trust God. So that's okay. What is it saying? I know better. I know better. And so we, how are we doing so far? How are we doing in our rebellion against God in our own setup of marriage? How's that working? 50-50, right? Is it any different in the church? Nope, it's 50-50 in the church. How come? Because we don't trust God. We don't want to do it His way. God makes it real simple. It's not complicated. I'd love to tell you it's super complicated, but really it's, it's simple. We read the text. Even as we work our way through this text, we're going to see that it's really simple. What's going on? The celebration of marriage God's way. I'm going to come with you. You're my prince. You're my prince charming. You're going to rescue. You're going to rescue me. Kathy, when we talk about marriage, she always talks about submitting a, a wife in submission to her husband. It's just like a wife who rides on the back of a motorcycle with him. It's a team. I'll promise you, if my wife doesn't want to do what I'm doing, we crash and die. Isn't that what happens in marriages? It's a matter of being a team, of working together, of functioning together. It's just the idea that the roles 
that God has given. But we say, I don't like that role. That's stupid. That's archaic. That's old fashioned. We don't follow. You know, we're the exception to that rule. 50-50. It's 50-50 your way. God's way is perfect. Always. I did it my way, and I did everything to ruin my marriage. I did it God's way, and here we are, still standing. If you could have told me 30 years ago, when I'd only been married two years, that I would love my wife more in 30 years than I did when I started, I'd tell you, you're crazy. I was pretty sure at two years, I knew everything there was to know, and I didn't like everything. And there had to be something better out there. And after 32 years, especially the last probably 25 years doing it God's way, man, Solomon's real. You can have that kind of celebration in your life, really? Yeah. Yeah. As soon as we decide that we're not smarter than God, that God knows what he's talking about and what he's doing. So we see the beginning of Song of Solomon talking about this woman, she's in love with this man. There, he's the her, he's the bride, he's the bridegroom. He's going to take her away. They're going to describe all the different nights as we go through all the different days, all the different struggles that they go through. But it's all telling us right out the gate. Here's a poem about marriage, life, love. That's Song of Solomon. Not there's nothing. There's no special secret chamber. Where it all means something else. <laughs> this is what it's talking about. This is what it's about. So she starts with her education. Look what she says. This is her past. I am very dark but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze on me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. She's talking about her social class, guys. What she's talking about is, <clears throat> you guys know, um, if you're in a society of of all... White people like us, we tend to beautify tan people. If you're in a society of all tan people, you tend to beautify all white people. If you, or, or untan, I don't know the right words you guys figured out. Whatever society, if you're in a society full of straight hair, you beautify curly hair. If you have curly hair, you beautify straight hair. The idea is we always beautify what, what is not common. Right? What's not common. What is outside of the common. And so what she's saying is, hey, I'm dark, but I'm beautiful. I'm lovely. Don't look down on me because of my social class. What God's saying is, your marriage and love has nothing to do with social class. You can enjoy it as, as the wealthy of the wealthy or the poor of the poor. Nothing to do with social class. David, it's the same term used of David. When they looked for David, what did they say about David? Oh, he's ready. You guys remember that phrase? He's ready. What did it mean? Where did, where had David been working? With the sheep. Where? In the fields. In the desert. Outside. What do you think ready means? Yeah, he's red. From what? From the sun. What happens with us when we go outside in the sun? Yeah, we get, I don't care what you are, you, you end up getting red, you get sunburned, you get ruddy. And that's what's going on. <clears throat> so it, it signifies being part of the common people, common. 
Um, so it's not about it's not about race. It's not about that. It's about the reality that that she is of the common. But she says to him, "Don't gaze on me because I'm dark, because the sun is looked upon. Don't look down on me because I'm common." Because we're going to see in the eyes of her husband, she is beautiful. He's going to tell her over and over and over and over. One of the things that God's word teaches us in the celebration of love and marriage is that part of the role, if you will, of the headship of the husband is to be a mirror for his wife. What does that mean? I mean, I don't care what you see in the mirror. It's my job to tell you. That you're beautiful. You're my everything. That's the role. In fact, we're going to see it at the end of our section tonight. So we also see that uh, she's got some issues with her family. Look at the next phrase. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. So she's saying, what do you think she's saying? She's saying, I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't take care of my own hair or make sure that I... My skin didn't get too dark from being outside. I had to take care of the work and the family. I had to do what had to be done. So I, I left my own vineyard unkept, but I took care of the family's vineyard. It's state of oppression, responsibility within the family, with an eye towards one day, somebody's going to come in here, and they're going to walk in in their officer's uniform, and they're going to scoop me up in the middle of the factory, and they're going to carry me out. You guys ever see that movie? Yeah, so this is the, the idea of this story that we're looking at. We don't, we look at it and we think, yeah, I wish there, there, there's nothing like this in God's word. Yeah, God's word started it. What do you, that's what she's looking for. Who's going to whisk me away? The important part, this celebration of love and marriage is that this is God's concept. That's how it's supposed to be, not just how it is in the movies. That's how it's supposed to be. If we come to it His way. If we comprehend it His way. So it goes on then. She's, uh, she's looking for her beloved. Look at verse 7. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon, for why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Where are you? I, I want to be, be with you. I want to be with you. Now, the metaphor is going to change. The metaphor for him just a little while ago was the king, right? The king is taking me away. Like a picture of Prince Charming. Now the metaphor switches, and she's going to look at the shepherd. Like, what's the point of the shepherd? The shepherd cares for the flock. It it talks about providing that care and comfort for her. So, she lays out this idea Man, I, it's not, has nothing to do with a literal shepherd or a literal king. It's, this is the concept for her in her mind of the love of her life, of what her marriage is supposed to look like, of what's going to happen as a result of it. And then there's this phrase. She says, for why should I be like the one who veils herself beside the flocks? Now, here's the truth. Sometimes people like to trade truth for certainty. So I'm not ever going to do that. I'm just going to give you the truth. Then you're going to have to wrestle with what the truth is. The truth is, this is written in Hebrew. And every concept in Hebrew doesn't translate to English. Can you guys understand that? So sometimes we're not sure really how to translate a line. 
So we, we, we do the best we can to get the concept across. And occasionally it's been better just to tell it like it says, it might make more sense to us. Because when I say she's going to veil herself by her companions, you might not understand what that means. What, 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 what's going on? Does she mean she's, she's, she's like flirting with other guys? Is that what she's talking about? No, that's not what she's talking about. She's saying, why should I go out? Here's, here's literally, literally what it says. Why should I be like a woman picking at fleas? What? So, we look at it and we go, what in the world is, what is she talking about? She's saying, why, I don't want to come look for you and wander around the shepherds because the shepherds were well known for being out with their sheep and smelling just like them. And eventually the lice and the fleas from the sheep got on the shepherds. And if she's got to wander through all the shepherds, then she's going to get fleas and lice. And she's going to be sitting down by all these shepherds picking her fleas. She's saying, I don't want to come to you. I want you to come to me. I don't want to come find you. I don't want to wander out here. I want you to come stand by me. She's saying, if she goes in search of him among shepherds, she'll catch their fleas. That's what it's saying. That's the truth. You do with it what you want. Well, how do you know that, Jackie? Jeremiah 43, 12. Jeremiah said, I will kindle a fire in the temple of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captive. He will clean the land of Egypt like a shepherd cleans his cloak of... See the word? Vermin? It's not veil there, is it? No. What's the vermin he's clearing off his cloak? Fleas. Like a shepherd cleans the fleas off his cloak. This is what she's referring to. She's saying, why should I be there? Why should I be in that place? But then the next line, guys, in verse 8, is the chorus of women. Not the man talking. It's the chorus of women. So she's saying to them, where is he? I want to be with him, but I don't want to go to him. I want him to come to me. I don't want to to get the fleas being out there. She's a little afraid to go into his world. You ever thought about that in a relationship? Being a little afraid of being in his world. Maybe his world's different than your world. Anyway, she doesn't want to. So they say, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow the tracks of the flock. Pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. What what they're saying is they lay this out for her as, look, you need to go because what you're missing in your life here with your family where you feel oppressed, you're going to find with him. So go. Go and, and feed your goats beside the flock. You'll find them. And you'll find there with them, with the shepherds, with those ones that you're afraid of of mixing with. You'll find with them what you're missing. You'll find family. That's what the the choral is, is calling her to. It's a mild rebuke telling her, hey, you cannot be one with your lover without entering into his world. God's way. God's way. Ladies, how many of us have wanted to fix our husband or boyfriend or, oh, I I want to fix him. How do we fix him? Well, we make him come to our world. Now, maybe his world needs to be left. I'm not saying every world is a good world to be in. But there are some things you don't fix. 
there are some things you just accept as part of him. Not sin, but there are some things that you you take as part of the package. It's part of the package of him, it's part of the package of you. So then we see the first song of their mutual love. This is where we'll stop tonight. This is the first line of the man, right here. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. He's saying that she is magnificent. He's saying, you ever seen Pharaoh's chariots out there and all those horses are so magnificent. You are magnificent. Can't take my eyes off you. Just like a mare in the midst of the chariots. Now there's some who say the chariots were all stallions. And if you put a mare in the middle of the stallions and she's estrus, you're going to know for sure because all them stallions are going to lose their mind because they want to be where? With the mare. They want to be with the mare. He's saying you're beautiful and you're so beautiful. I want to decorate that beauty. I want You should be decorated with jewels. String of jewels around your neck. And then the choir of women respond. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. Man, if you're beautiful and you're more beautiful with jewels, then you should have all the jewels you need. So he's singing this. You're beautiful. You're magnificent. They're singing you should have all the jewels that you need. And then she responds in verse 12. While the king was on his couch, my spikenard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. So they're all saying, you're, you're so beautiful and we should cover you with jewels. And she's saying, what makes me beautiful is your love and my love for you. How I love you. And all the language in there that you think. Does that mean? Yes. That's what that means. It means that, man, the the king is there. Once again, we've moved from shepherd to king. There's a king on his couch. And my body is responding in, in, in how I love him. My body is responding. The scent of my body is saying, I want to sleep with you. I want to make love. I, I want to respond to the king on the couch. And I want him to know that what makes me beautiful is his love. It's like a sachet between my breasts, a myrrh. Myrrh would have been a strong um, herb that would have, would have been very easy to smell. And she's saying, man, the, the beauty, the real fragrance is you with me. You being with me. Us together. If you want to decorate me with something, she's singing, you are a cluster of blossoms hanging on the vineyard of Engedi. If she's the vineyard, he's the decoration. She's the vineyard, she's the, the green vines and the grapes, and he's the white flowers that grow over the vines. So she's describing it. You're, you're what makes me beautiful. Now, I just want you to see that this whole section of Scripture is a back and forth. Because right after she says this, then he responds, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Nobody knows what that means. A lot of people take a stab at it. But I don't have a problem with that being a good thing, do you? 
It's, he's not saying your eyes are dove's eyes. They're little and beady and looking at me funny. No. He's saying your eyes are doves. I think doves are beautiful. <clears throat> we've had a couple of times where we've done dove releases, and it's just amazing to watch those white doves flying away. He's saying your eyes are doves. Man, I, you're beautiful. You're amazing. I, 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 I'm, I am enchanted by your beauty. And then immediately she responds. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch, our, our bed where we make love, it's verdant, it's green, it's, it's a, a place of fruitfulness. The beams of our house are cedar, our house is strong, the rafters are pine, our house smells amazing. But I am just a rose of Sharon in the lily of the valleys. A rose of Sharon in the lily of the valleys is a common flower. She said, I, I'm just a common girl. Just earlier she said... Don't look down on me because I'm dark, right? You guys remember? So here she says, man, our, our, our bed is beautiful and our house is strong and our house is fragrant and I love being with you, but I'm just a common girl. And then he responds. Look at his response. You are as a lily among thorns. You're a common flower and the rest of them are thorns. There's nobody else for me but you. You are the lily among the brambles, so is my love among the other women. They're just thorns. You are the object of my desire. And then she responds to him. Well, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. She says, you're like an apple tree in the forest. Forest full of trees and all these great trees, but the apple tree has more to give than the rest of the trees. That's what she's saying about him. Man, you're, there's fruit that comes from you. And she says, with great delight, I sit in your shadow and your fruit is sweet to my taste. For he brought me to the banqueting house. So the picture is of, again, the picture is of the wedding. Like thinking back to the wedding and she's saying, man, he brought me. And, and there's this tenseness, there's this fear that's in the woman because this is the wedding and the wedding night and all these weird expectations and and what's it all going to be like and what's it going to look like and he says she says he brought me to the banqueting table and his banner over me was not victory or strength he came to me in peace he came to me in love his banner over me was love. This is how he has come. This is how he has he, he came, not f- coming forth to conquer, but coming forth in love. His banner over me is love. So then she says to him, Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. And then the picture. His left hand is under my head, his right hand embraces me. He's holding her. And then she looks at the choir. And she says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field. Don't stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Who? God. There's a right way to celebrate the things that this poem is talking about. And the right way is to celebrate that in the confines of marriage. That's where... All that stuff really finds its fruitfulness. That's where God's blessing is poured out on the relationship. Because otherwise, it's just two people trying to do what they can. And no matter what I try to do, if God's not in it, they labor in vain to build the house. 
But unless the Lord builds a house, it's worthless. How do we get the Lord to bless the house? How do we get the Lord to bless the relationship? We do it how? His way. She's three times going to tell the women, the choir and the women, she's going to say to them three times, hey, don't, don't mess with this outside of what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't mess with this outside of what matters to God. Do this God's way. Follow God's direction. See the example of the love that this man and woman have. And then strive to meet that example. To walk in that example. To have the way God intended it to be. That's God's design. Right? In Eden, it was God's design that we would have perfection. But we thought we knew better. What did we end up with? The desert. Well, that was not a good trade. And then we run into the corruption. Angels promising who knows what. And so being corrupted by the angels and the weirdness that came out of that, we traded what God had for us then for what the angels were offering. And it wasn't so great. What happened then? The flood. Wow, perfect. So far, we're doing great. Well, after that, we walk in our rebellion against God. We don't want God anymore. What happened? The division of the nations. Where man had been one, man's been trying to become one ever since. The division of the nations, the scattering of the nations. Where does all that get reversed? In Christ. In Christ you have paradise found again. In Christ you have all those things in reality that angels promised that is fulfilled in Him. In Christ you have unity where all man can be gathered together under one banner. And the banner is not to conquer. The banner is love. That's all there. If we'll read the street signs, we can find ourselves in that same place together. Amen? We'll catch some more next time. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word. God, to look through this book. I pray, Lord, that we'll be challenged by what we hear, by what we see. And that we, rather than then then freaking out about it would say, no, that's how it's supposed to be. That's what I'm looking for in a relationship. If I'm a single guy or a single girl, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want. That's what I want to experience. I want to settle for the lies of this world. I want to have the truth that God offers. God, I pray that you would go before us, teach us to walk in the sanctity of marriage as you created it to enjoy the relationship between husband and wife as you intended it, and in and through it all to realize that you are the God of life, and you have come that we might have life and life more abundant. God, we ask your blessing as we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.